don't you blame the movies? Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Welcome back to the dark side. I am your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is episode 38 of Dark Adaptation. Hell yeah, it is. Where we are continuing spooky season. Yeah. And guess what I have for you today, Dyson. Episode 38. Oh, well, very true. I wonder what uh, you you knew that from. Nailed it. What do you think I have for you today? Hmm? Do you have a Mm -hmm. spooky story for us? It's spooky. And it is about a haunted house. Not a house guy. Oh. You know? I'm psyched, bitches. That's my favorite kind of story. (laughs) Haunted house stories. (laughs) I was like, okay, then. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) We'll catch you on the dark side. I was really just locked out of the market, you know? Well, you know what? You and a million other people. Yeah, I'll never get to experience Poltergeist for myself. Uh... Or Poltergeist 2. But possibly Poltergeist 3, because that takes place in an apartment building. Condo building, excuse me. You know what? I'm so proud of you and your growing horror movie knowledge. Yeah. You remember when you remember when the kid got sucked into the TV? And then you remember when, in the third one, the kid got sucked into the mirror? They really <laughs> broke the fucking mold with that. Let me tell you, that was some cutting-edge shit right there. Did you mention that on the Bloody Mary episode? I don't know. The mirror? Oh, Maybe. Maybe. I hope so. Because I was like, <laughs> I thought it was funny because last week Paige did Bloody Mary. It was awesome. But she was like, what about in movies? Do you ever see anything with mirrors in movies? Oh, I think I did. And I instantly was like, okay, yeah, um, horror movies. Here's some horror movies. Here's some horror movies. And then she was like, yeah, well, there's also this, this, and that. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to only be horror I think I, sh- I shouted it into the mic because I didn't have a mic. So I was just yelling it from the other side of the room. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned it. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, Haunted House, a um, little bit of banter, get it out of the way, because I'm wasting no time. Here we go. I'm going to tell you about this, because I have so much to tell you. Go, go, go. Okay, we're going to upstate New York. This is um, to... Oh, God. This is Poltergeist 3. <laughs> <laughs> going to upstate New York. We're going to go visit some family. We're going to leave the kid in the apartment for a little bit. Just a little. Just enough to get sucked into a mirror. Yeah. Okay. For real though, we're going to upstate to New. To- <laughs> we're going to upstate New York. Take it from there. Go ahead. <laughs> to visit the quote Mount Everest of haunted houses. Oh fuck! That's like peak mm. mountain. <laughs> That's the epsilon, epsilon or e- epsilon? Echelon. Oh really? Echelon. Yo, for how many years, Brianna? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, just, it's the echelon of fucking horror right there. It's the most uh, it's the most famous haunted house in New York State, possibly in America. And it's called the Hinsdale House. And it is a perfect house for a spooky season. <laughs> oh, sorry. Our house. <coughs> in the middle of a crisis. Okay, Our house. Put a little spin on it. Kid got eaten by a tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go with anything haunted. There's always legends. 
Sure is. The first legend is that a Native American massacre took place on present-day Main Street in Hinsdale, which contributes to why the area is so haunted. Oh, I called it from the get-go, guys. Yeah, and I mean, burial ground, always, (coughs) if you're talking about Native Americans, because literally it was their land first. So, of course, there's going to be grave sites and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, in horror movies... The people who get it the worst are always the ones that, like, low-key kind of deserve it nowadays. <laughs> so, like, you know, <laughs> can't get worse than what we did to Native Americans, I think. So, here we go. Yeah, it's, like, the least they can do. Vengeance from the grave. Yeah. But, you know what? This family probably didn't deserve what, what happened to them. Um, okay, so the land where Hinsdale House sits has a documented history dating back to 1701. Naturally, there's been a heavy... Native American presence on this land. And as the property was excavated during modern construction, tons of Native American artifacts have been found and likely burial grounds were disturbed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second legend is about Hinsdale House itself, which was built in 1853. And in its early years, it was owned by two brothers who used it as an inn located on a stagecoach trail. And they sort of guised this in as an oasis for people, travelers to stop into. But little did they know they were really in for it. They were in for it. Because when people stopped in, the brothers robbed and murdered them by hanging them in the trees. Oh, shit. And then if it was winter when this happened, they'd store the bodies in the cellar until spring when the ground thawed and then they could bury them in the hills nearby. Well, that took a fucking immediate turn, Brianna. There's the turn. <laughs> there. Oh. oh, I was doing. <laughs> God, no. Nope. Don't start quoting Nirvana the band the show. Okay. Yeah, that's a good call. Okay. So, what we're talking about today is the story of the Dandy family and their experience living in the Hinsdale house. So, the Dandy family is a family of six. There's the mother, Clara, the father, Phil, and their four children. The oldest and only son, Mike. And then three sisters, Beth, Laura, and Mary, and they lived in Buffalo, New York. So Clara and Phil were having some marital troubles. There was pressures of work and normal family life and stuff like that. And they were all they were often clashing on views, uh, mainly religion. Clara was a devout, devout Catholic, mm-hmm. and Phil. He converted when they got married, but she always felt like he didn't take it seriously enough. And, you know, when you're raising kids together, obviously it's hard if you don't have similar views on how to raise them. So um, they were kind of growing apart. But in 1967, they took the family on a trip to Allegheny Park, which is like this beautiful state park in New York. And getting out of the city and being together in nature with the family, it all felt great. They loved it. Um, no one wanted to leave, especially the kids. And since everyone loved and missed the outdoors and the fresh air, Phil and Clara bought a cabin in Cuba, New York, which is about an hour, 20 minutes away from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, but Phil stopped joining the family. So Clara thought that they needed something more permanent that would keep them out in nature together with the fresh air and everything. Uh, but but not just a cabin to actually live there. So they bought this quaint house out in the country. It's about 15 minutes away from Cuba and outside the small town of Hinsdale. 
Now, this house was surrounded by heavily wooded hills. It's on eight acres of property. There's this newly dug pond behind the house, which the kids loved. They'd go swimming in it all the time. And then the house itself was like nothing special, but they loved it. Um, the first floor had this lovely like country style kitchen. There was a utility room and two bedrooms, uh, which would become Mike and Beth's bedrooms. There was a living room and then the only bathroom, which the bathroom is a weird room. It used to be a pantry, but it okay. had been converted into a bathroom. And um, upstairs, there was just three bedrooms. Like there wasn't really anything else to the upstairs. There was like a medium sized bedroom for Phil and Clara, a small bedroom for Mary, and then this tiny little bedroom for Laura. Mm-hmm. And the stairs to the second floor were described as dangerously steep. <laughs> and at the <clears throat> excuse me, and at the top was a crawl space, which was described as awkward and nearly inaccessible. It had a peaked roof with a neat brick chimney, and there was also a root cellar, which was super creepy. So when I say the bathroom was a weird room, it's because the only entrance to this root cellar was through this super narrow door in the bathroom, like a foot from the toilet. Oh, no. Yeah. The stairs were rickety. The walls were rough stone. And there was only a small area where the ceiling was high enough that you could actually stand. And needless to say, they did not venture into the cellar unless they absolutely had to. And the door would always open on its own. So they closed it and latched it and were like, fuck that room. We're not going down there. Um. Oh, well, I mean, on the bright side, like if the creepy ass, clearly there's something wrong with the cellar. Fucking door just opens. At least you're on the shitter. You can just drop a deuce. Drop a deuce and scared away. What no, just be out of panic. A pa- oh, oh, a panic poo. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, that was scared. <laughs> Could you just, just imagine <clears throat> hearing that walking past the washroom and all you hear is... <laughs> that checks out. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, they might have this creepy cellar, but you know, the family was excited. They loved their house. They loved the scenery and being out in nature. Mm-hmm. So in the spring of 1970, Claire and the kids made several trips from Buffalo to Hinsdale to bring small stuff. Just to begin moving the family into the new home. Yeah, like shoes, clothing, effigies, rocks, and... Yes, rocks. And toys. <laughs> you know, their rock collection. Yeah. God, I have no to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> so at this time, Clara was 34, Phil was 36, Mike was 14, Beth was 13, Mary was 9, and Laura was 8. During these trips is when the car troubles started for the first time. We're going to talk about car troubles a lot. It's very common for the family and for those who visited the house to have car troubles. So they had this brand new station wagon. And as soon as they started driving regularly from Hinsdale, the car would overheat. It had issues with the radiator. Uh, So they got rid of the station wagon thinking that it was the car. Uh, Not initially initially realizing the troubles were always happening near their new home. It wasn't the car. Oh, no. So on July 18th, 1970, the family drove from Buffalo for the last time, and they brought their pets. This family had a lot of pets. Uh, they, when they moved, the pets they had were two dogs, mm-hmm. Bunky and Tigger. 
Oh my god. They bulky. had a raccoon named Princess. Oh, of course. Four guinea pigs, two parakeets, two finches, a woodchuck named Nipper, and a kitten named Fluff. Oh my god. And over time they'd get more pets. Holy crap. Oh my crap. Oh my crap. <laughs> Clara's <laughs> Clara's mother and her brother No, Clara's mother and Clara's brother, Gordon helped them move so they were ahead of the dandy family and they were going to meet them at the hinsdale house so when clara and the kids arrived the house was filled with bees oh, oh good the windows were covered like to the point that you could not see out of them there were oh so God. many bees and gordon because he and his mother arrived first, they had to push through a wall of bees in order to get inside the house. Oh, fuck no. And immediately he calls an exterminator because he's like, what the actual fuck is happening here? That's such a red flag right out the gate. Yeah. And in the past trips, because they've been making small like trips with small stuff to come and start moving in, they've mm -hmm. never seen bees. They're like, what the fuck? We're finally going to move in here and now it's full of bees? Oh, my God. Uh, so... The brother called the exterminator, but Clara called a bee expert just because she's like, I have so many questions about this. Mm -hmm. And the expert's like, okay, it's really weird. Uh, no, they should not be filling your house like that. Also, they don't usually swarm together like that during this time of year, which is July. And then the exterminator showed up. He was also like, what the fuck? I've never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. And so he like sprays the house and left saying like you shouldn't have a problem anymore because i just sprayed a fuck ton of stuff mm -hmm. um but like good luck you know i, I smoked them out i uh smudged stick to hope you don't mind <laughs> probably a first thing they should have done mm -hmm. so the exterminator killed all these bees and they were like sweeping up piles oh my and God. piles of them and filling garbage bags mm -hmm. and over the next few months there was still bees that were in the house there's so many that they were like building hives in there so there's honey that would just like drip from the ceiling and stuff that's so ominous because it's just so unique yes like, i know like sure you know like ectoplasm you know rudimentary stuff but fucking honey just seems like it wants you like to come closer like it's just luring you in mm, it does doesn't it yeah it's creepy and i just think of candy man yeah yeah my mind went there too speaking of mirrors <laughs> um, candy man stop it Can so yeah they are infested they're just like they've taken over the house there's honey everywhere and then the swarm just left the swarm left okay and uh, to this day people will be like there's still a lot of bees there and it's like okay i don't think there was anything like it was mm -hmm. um people also say that there's like swarms of flies like if, if you pull up to the house you'll just be like attacked oh mm -hmm. gross so clara she ended up uh being a stay-at-home mom she was working in buffalo and she would make the commute uh but she would have to leave at 5 a.m and she wouldn't get home until 6 p.m and it was just exhausting. Uh, plus, there was a little bit of an incident that helped make up her mind about staying at home with the kids. So Clara had come home from work and the kids were really upset, claiming that someone had broken into the house. And remember, the family had dogs and these were big dogs. So Clara was like, how? Like, no one's breaking into the house with these dogs. Mm -hmm. But she began looking around and she saw that someone had 
definitely been inside the house. Clothes were pulled out of the closet and the dresser drawers, and it was only the girls. Mike, the son, and Phil, the husband's stuff, was not touched. Mary's record player was thrown across her room, and Bunky, who was the most protective of the dogs, he was outside um, either because something had put him out there or because he had ran out there because he was so afraid of whatever was in the house. Oh. So the legends continued. Um, The local kids and the dandy children's new friends told the dandies about a local legend, that there was the ghost of a man that could be seen walking down McMahon Road. And that's the road that the family lived on. Mm -hmm. At first, the family lapped it off, you know, thought it was kind of like this fun folklore, like cool, whatever. But a few days later, Mike told Clara that he was walking down the road with his friends, Bob and Matt, when a man appeared out of nowhere. And Mike was like, who's that? And his friends are like, oh, well, that's the ghost. And Oh, <laughs> pardon me. <laughs> yeah, Mike didn't believe it. So he ran after the man who was dressed like a farmer. And when he was just a few feet behind him, the man stepped behind a tree and vanished. Oh, smooth as shit, though. Yeah, but Mike was just, you no, know, he's like 14. He was like, fuck, that was weird as shit. Mm-hmm. Vanished into thin air. Yep. And so like, Clara hears this story and she just kind of smiles and just thinks like, oh, your imagination. It got into your head. So you thought you saw the ghost. And then this girl named Pat, who is another local kid and a new friend of the the kids. She didn't think it was funny and she did not think it was something that should be laughed off. Mm -hmm. She told the family that she had seen the ghost too, but it was a black man. And Clara asked Pat like, oh, like skin color. Is that what you mean? And Pat was like, no, like a, like a black man, like a shadow figure. Oh, no. And Clara didn't believe Pat at first, and she was more just concerned instead. Like, okay, these kids and their weird legends. <laughs> Fuck is going on around here, yeah. <clears throat> but the shadow figure, like, continued to come up. So one day, Pat and Beth, Pat's the friend, Beth's one of the daughters, she, um, they ran into the house. And they were hysterically screaming that the ghost was watching them from the hills. And Beth described the ghost as being dressed up as a farmer, Mm -hmm. just like her brother had seen. But Pat insisted that it was a black man, a creepy shadow figure just watching them from the hills. I love that Pat is like insistent. There is a distinction here and you need to respect that. Yep. She's, (laughs) She's like, I know. Okay. I know a shadow person when I see one. Yep. So despite the creepy shadow figures being seen, the family was settling into country life quickly and the animals loved it too because there's just like, they're on eight acres of property. There's so much space for them to roam. Mm -hmm. But things started to get weird for the animals too. Aww. Um, One of the things that was just really creepy was that the dogs just kept bringing home these giant bones, like big bones. Uh. Yeah. Like, like femur-sized bones are we talking? Uh-huh. Oh, no. The family's like, what the hell kind of bones are these? The fuck? And then one day, their golden collie, Tigger, vanished. And uh-huh. it, it was normal for him to wander off, like all of the animals did, mm-hmm. uh, but they would always come home. So Clara was afraid uh, that the dog could have been hit by a car. So yeah. she did like go to the roads check see if anything had happened but she did not find anything so she began to worry that he was shot because the 
paper had reported that local boys were using stray dogs as target practice. What the fuck? Yeah, that's a that's a true crime for another day. Yeah, that's something else. The kids in this area, man. Yeah. So days passed, but Tigger didn't come home. There was no sign of Tigger. And the family started coming to terms with the fact that the, he would never be seen again because he wasn't. This mm -hmm. dog literally disappeared. And losing Tigger was very devastating on the kids. Yeah. Like, it's awful to lose a dog. So the family went to the local shelter and they adopted another dog. And it was a female collie this time. And she looked and acted just like Tigger. So they adopted her. And I'm fairly certain that they named her Lassie. All right. Classic name. Mm -hmm. I respect it. So they continued to add more pets to the family. You know, they have all this property. You want to fill it with pets. Yeah. So they got a half German chef bird, half St. Bernard puppy, and they named him Peanuts. <laughs> they got a skunk named Dolly. They're so good with naming their pets. I know. And they got another cat named Tish. Um, plug your ears if you're sensitive for 10 seconds. Tish had mysteriously gotten into the dryer one day and was killed. Oh. This poor kitten in the dryer. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Earmuffs off, kids. By the winter, many strange occurrences had happened. And... What made it worse was that it was the coldest winter on record um, to the point that the water lines froze and they didn't thaw out until April. Oh, man. Yeah. That fucking sucks. Yeah. So the family, like, thankfully they had a well because they would have to go. I was going to ask. And bring. Fuck. Yeah. They brought in water from the well, but it would take the entire family to haul in enough water just for one bath. I'm so tired already. Just hearing that. Yeah. Uh, and in the coldest winter on record, and the wind was crazy, like mm -hmm. blow you over, windy. Yep. And so it would take the whole family to haul in enough water for one bath, which they had to heat the water on the stove. And then each person was allowed to bathe once a week because it was so much work. Yeah, I would be like, I unless I see stink lines... <laughs> flying off your ass it's not happening i'm not going out there Make it in the middle bath. of the winter too for most of that all of it yeah from winter until april well yeah, yeah yeah well yeah for context for anyone not living up north it like april's still fucking cold as shit because mm -hmm, where this is from us it's mm -hmm. like three hours like it's not that far away at all okay so exact same climate yes okay yes Oof. So, yeah, that's like a terrible way to have your first winter in this house, which is old. It's rickety. Um, it was freezing. There's like these insanely strong winds. And then there's so much snow that even the snow plows were getting stuck. <laughs> so, Shit. so they were just like, great. What have we done? This winter sucks ass. Oh, my God. So one night when Clara was bringing in well water, she saw something in the sky to the south. And this thing, it's like moving really fast. It's dead silent. It's round. It's large. And it has no windows. It's just staring at it. She's like, what the fuck is that? So she calls the kids over. And they all start staring at this thing in the sky trying to figure out what it was. When it suddenly just veers off to the north and disappeared. Oh, fuck. They see UFOs now, too? Mm -hmm. Oh, all right. Leave. Now. Like... Bees were one thing that was already on the line because that's obviously the first sign of something wrong. Mm -hmm. Then your dog goes fucking missing. Um, 
a poor mishap to a kitten to a kitten and then you see a fucking ufo in the middle of butt fuck nowhere go yeah. home they are home go to another <laughs> home <laughs> so yes yep the kids start seeing uh similar objects in the sky at night many times over the winter and into the spring and sometimes they're just executing very intricate maneuvers in the sky being little show-offs uh-huh. so the family show the family made it through the winter i mean just barely because it was a really hard time for everyone yeah and so the spring comes and they were like we will not go through that again so they got uh, new heating and water systems installed contractors came to put in new insulation and the old windows were replaced with new ones mm-hmm. so they were like okay this is winterproof now. It'll be at least a little better. Spick and span. We're good to go. Of course, though, this cost a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, which was a strain on the family because Clara wasn't working. It was just Phil, who was the sole um, financial supporter. Mm-hmm. So when money was disappearing from the house, it was a big deal. And it was small sums at first. Uh-oh. But it steadily increased, and the money would even be taken from locked, like, safes and containers and stuff. Oh, no. So the financial situation for the family steadily worsened, and so did Phil and Clara's marriage. Um, Phil was changing. He was becoming more withdrawn, and he stopped coming home as often, choosing to stay with his in-laws in Buffalo. Uh, he still worked in Buffalo, so, you know, maybe it was just easier. Uh, the family grew used to Phil not really being around as often, and mm-hmm. um, they started to actually prefer it because the tension in the house was already off, but it was amplified when Phil was around. And yeah. kids are more Sensitive. astute than you yeah. think, and yeah. they're probably picking up on that tension between their parents. Mm-hmm. But also the house was just fucked as well and had its own tension. Yep. Clara noticed everyone was changing a little bit. For example, they were all becoming very careless and very clumsy. Here's a list. Mary fell off her bike and needed six stitches. Laura had developed a staph infection on her foot after she fell off of her bike. Mike spilled boiling water on himself and scalded his stomach. Clara broke her finger trying to repair a window. Mike cut a tendon in his hand while making a vase out of a glass bottle. Phil cut his thumb to the bone trying to push their car out of the snow. Beth had fallen during gym class and broke her arm. Laura broke her foot. Claire's mother fell down the stairs and broke her leg. And Claire's parents had been in a total of three car accidents while returning to Buffalo from Hinsdale. Holy fuck. Yes. And at this point, they wouldn't even have lived there a year. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. That, knock on wood, that shit, like maybe one of those things has happened to me in the entirety of my 30 years. And this is just like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And yeah, three car accidents while returning home from Hinsdale. And car accidents are a recurring thing that we'll talk about. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But tons of car accidents. Another recurring issue was the family's pets dying. Oh. So the family had pets their whole life. They're huge animal lovers. And any of their pets had only died of old age. But since living in this house, they lost Tigger, they lost the kitten, three birds died, and Princess the raccoon. No, yep. not Princess. And a lot of them died in one room in the house, which was Mary's room, 
and there was no apparent cause of death. It's like they just died of fear or something. Oh, that's so concerning. Oh. Yo, Mary should not be in that room. Uh, Kind of jumping the gun, but it's okay. Mary's room, they actually essentially like just boarded it off and wouldn't go in there anymore. Jesus it was the activity in there was so scary. What? At what point do you just be like, no, I'm calling it. If I ever have, if I'm ever in a situation where I'm, I have a house and I feel compelled to board off a section of like a, a section of the house because of activity. Mm-hmm. Like if I can't explain that to guests, I'm not staying there. <laughs> like, oh don't, oh, don't go into Mary's room. It's too much activity in it. Like, yeah, no, thanks. Like, I, I'm not sleeping on your couch. I'm driving back to Buffalo, too. <laughs> they putting. They had put all their money into this house, though. Oh, the, yeah, they were financially trapped. And we'll get into it a little bit more, but they do end up trying to sell the house. Mm-hmm. And it. they can't. They can't sell it because of how bad the activity got and how many people started realizing and knowing about it. Oh, shit. And it just wouldn't sell. Uh-oh. So they, they're just in this terrible nightmare oh right yeah mary's room very very creepy poor pets are dying in there no cause of death clara and the family were feeling like this house did not want them in it yeah but um something was trying to get them out and they couldn't do anything about it because dyson like we literally just talked about they they put their money into it they were house poor they were house poor yep at this time I don't know if the camping grounds are still there, but at least in at this time, so the early 70s, there were camping grounds in the hills behind the house where people would just like go camp in tents, RVs, whatever. So in May 1971, the camping season was starting and one Sunday evening, Clara took Lassie for a walk up the hill that leads to the campsites because she just wanted to explore it. She wanted to check out how many people there were there. She wanted to see what it was like when it was like starting up and getting into the swing of it and the mom was curious too yeah (laughs) (laughs) and clara was along for the ride so as she's walking lassie stops and her ears perk up so clara stops too to listen she's like what is my dog picking up on and then suddenly there was this music sort of like choir music as she walked in the direction that she thought it was coming from, expecting to run into whoever was singing. But as she rounded a bend, the music stopped. She didn't hear it anymore. So Clara's like, okay, whatever. Gonna keep walking. Me, me and Lassie, here we go, down the road. They reach the end of the road, the last of the cabins. So they turn around and they're like heading back home. They head down the steep hill. And as they are almost to the road, the singing started again. And again, Lassie stopped. And this time she just turned her head toward the hills where the music seemed to be coming from. So Clara said the only thing that she can compare what she heard to are Gregorian chants. Oh. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't like that. You know what? I gotta tell you, every time I've heard the word Gregorian has not been in a good context. And then chants. Yeah, Spooky. Gregorian chanting. We'll put, we'll like layer Gregorian chants under that. All right. So then people know what a Gregorian chant is. When Clara got home from this walk, she told the family about the mysterious chanting. And the, the daughters, they were really interested. They're like, that's spooky as heck. 
I want in on this. And Mike, the son, he was just laughing. He's like, whatever. Like you heard, sure, you heard chanting or choir music or whatever, but it was just that. There was nothing scary about it. So the next night, Clara, all three dogs, her daughters, Beth, Mary, Laura, and then Pat, the girl's friends, all went out for an evening walk, taking the exact same path that Clara had taken the night before. And the exact thing, same thing happened. So the chanting was heard in the same spot. They all heard it and they kept walking and talking about what it could be when they round the bend and it stops. So they head back once they reach the end of the road and they descend the hill. And before they get to the road that leads home, the chanting starts again. But this time it was a little bit different. At first it was that creepy Gregorian chant style, Mm -hmm. but it abruptly stopped And after about 30 seconds, a single male voice began a monotone prayer. Oh, no. I hate all of that. The singing is creepy enough, but then a mysterious prayer. It just worst of all is like they were like, we're going to find out what it is. And you can't. Mm -mm. So you just have to sit with it. Mm -hmm. Oh, they all just booked it home. They ran home. Mm -hmm. They're like, fuck that. So they get home and they tell Mike and his sisters are like, it was real. It was real. And it was really creepy because now there was praying. And now Mike is like, well, shit, I want to know. So he asked his friends, Bob and Matt, to join him. And Matt was a skeptic about the paranormal and said that he would go. But Bob was like, nope, those hills are haunted. I'm not going with you. Yep. And it was dark by this point. I knew it. I knew they were going to go in the night. I don't know why. I was just like. They're dumb enough to go in the middle of the night, aren't they? It was dark by this point, yes. So um, Matt and Mike are walking up to the hills, and Matt doesn't want to go anymore. He's scared, but Mike convinces him to keep going. And suddenly they hear a woman scream. A Uh, single, mm. high-pitched, piercing scream that just scared the shit Uh, out of them. Yeah. And they immediately ran home and told the rest of the family. And that was at that moment that everyone agreed they will never go into the hills anymore. (laughs) Oh, again, if you have to say shit like that out loud. Like, oh, we don't go in those hills anymore. It's super creepy because as the years went on and people used the campgrounds, tons of people would talk about this mysterious singing and chanting uh, that was coming from the hills and around the campgrounds. And no one ever could figure out what it was because they would be like, well, it must must be from a church or something. And like, nope, there's no church there. Absolutely hate that. And also no church there that we know of. That we know of. That's right. Yeah. Which makes it way worse. So creepy. (laughs) A couple months later in in the summer, uh, it's a reminder, it's 1971, just in case, because it's like... We're going to be like banging out a timeline here. Yeah. So it's the summer of 71 and Clara was sleeping with the windows open and suddenly the entire room was flooded with a bright light. As she was waking up trying to figure out what was going on, she heard Mike yelling from downstairs, screaming that the entire house was lit up and he thought the source was coming from outside his window. And remember, his room is downstairs on the main level. And Claire's room is upstairs. So Claire's like, well, that's not possible because it's shining in my room. And that's when they realized that it was coming from above the house. Uh. Everyone was scared. The entire family huddled in Claire's room for 10 minutes, staying away from the windows when the light started to fade away. So Clara ran to the window and she saw the same object she had seen in the winter headed away from the house 
quickly and in that same silent manner. Yeah, no, no, thank you very much. And even creepier, a few days later in the newspaper, there were reports of UFOs being seen in the area by many people. Many people in this, like, not exactly dense area. Right, but still. Uh, It's terrifying. That makes it so much worse. Yeah. I'd be like, oh. Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your buddy? Do you like cracking jokes and having a good time? Do you just like fun? Well, consider checking out Spoils of Horror. We are an hour-long podcast that comes out every single week. We're not doing reviews. We're just going to hang out, talk about the movies we love with each other, and hopefully the ones you love too. Covering everything from the popular, the lost, the forgotten, and the bizarre. If you're looking for a good podcast and a good time, you're going to want to check us out. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out. We'll see you there. Clara described the house as sometimes feeling like it was sitting in a vacuum. Sometimes Clara felt safe and comfortable. She could go for walks at nighttime, in the dark, whatever, alone, and feel fine. But other times there was a dark, oppressive feeling, and the family began to call them umbrella nights. Ew. Oh, I don't like that. On umbrella nights, everyone was affected. Even the animals who became very restless. So the dogs would growl, the cats hissed, the do- the birds flew around in their cages. And then the kids were really sensitive, like prone to crying. Petty arguments happened and no one could sleep. So it was just miserable. Yes, turmoil for sure. So on one umbrella night... Clara was doing her usual headcount of all of the pets, because remember, they would just kind of roam around. Mm -hmm. But their cat, Jinx, was missing. Clara went outside with a flashlight calling for Jinx, and as she walked, she felt this invisible force that just stopped her in her tracks, and she couldn't move forward at all, no matter how hard she tried, and she was terrified. And she turned and ran back inside the house, Mm -hmm. stood in there for a minute, and then kind of laughed to herself, like... She's letting things scare her and, like, get into her head. So she's like, I gotta go find my cat, damn it. So she goes back outside. She's determined to find Jinx. Yep. And she's moving the flashlight across the yard. And she sees these two glowing eyes looking at her from the crabapple tree. Oh, no. So Clara's walking over to these eyes, calling for Jinx. Oh, no. And it wasn't the cat. Yeah. Uh... Clara felt the fear creeping in that she had felt the first time she went outside, so she kept her eyes on the spot where the eyes had been and slowly backed away. Once she was about eight feet away, the eyes reappeared, but she was like, fuck this, and walked inside. Uh Uh-huh, smart. So it was about 30 minutes that had gone by, and Jinx still hadn't shown up, so Clara asked Beth to go out with her and find the cat. Clara did not mention this invisible force, the glowing eyes, or the creepy feeling. She didn't want to scare her daughter. Um, so Beth took the flashlight and went out ahead of Clara to find the cat. And then Beth was nearing the crabapple tree where Clara had seen the eyes. 
when Beth stopped dead in her tracks and told Claire that they had to go back inside because something was not right. As they ran back to the house, Jinx ran towards them from the other side of the house, opposite the crabapple tree, and the cat seemed just as terrified. Ugh. And Beth never told Clara what she had seen. I got, I got goosebumps, sorry. Because it's terrifying. Me. That freaked me. That gave me shivers. I have goosebumps too. Beth never told Clara what made her so scared that night. And Clara probably assumed it was something that made her scared too. Like that, It's just like this bone chilling fear that they had and the eyes. So Sometimes there's just moments where you know. You're like, mm -mm. <laughs> no, this is a bad idea and I'm out. And the most upsetting part is that you don't know what those eyes were. You don't ha you have no idea. They never realized it. They just knew it made them terrified and the cat was even scared. Yeah. So by July 1973, the umbrella nights were a regular occurrence. It wasn't just umbrella nights anymore. It was like that's just every day here. Yeah, that's become the form. Mhm. Mm so Monday, July 2nd, Phil goes to work and Clara was home with Beth and Mike. Mary and Laura were at their grandparents' house. So it's just the three people in the house. Clara, Beth, and Mike go to bed around 11 p.m., but Clara woke up at 3.30 a.m. to a scream downstairs. And remember that Beth and Mike's bedrooms are on the ground floor, so when Clara hears the scream, she runs down there to check on them. And Beth is laying in her bed with her hands covering her eyes, and she's terrified. And she tells Clara that she had gotten up to get some water. She got back into her bed and then something jumped on her stomach. She said it was small and furry and assumed it was one of the cats. And when she pushed it away, she expected to hear it land on the ground. But she didn't hear anything. It just disappeared midair. And Clara confirmed that both of the cats were sleeping in her room. So it wasn't a cat. And in the morning, they found this slimy, grayish-green substance outside of Beth's bedroom door. Uh-oh. And Clara's cleaning it up, and then she starts to realize, like, I've seen this before. And in April, so a couple months before, mm -hmm. Beth woke up screaming that something was in her room, and they found nothing except the slime in the same spot. Ew. Mm-hmm. Gross. And... It makes you wonder. It makes me wonder anyway. It's obviously terrifying. That's you yeah, don't no one likes to, to get gooed. But Beth was with her mother when they went outside to look for Jinx. And there's those creepy glowing eyes out there. And Beth was so scared of something that she had seen. It's like, is it this mystery creepy little ball that's like attacking you in your sleep? Ew. That's like in your room and leaving goo around and hiding outside your house at night. Mm -hmm. So creepy. Two days later, July 4th, Beth woke up with a burn on her leg and she mentioned it at breakfast. Breakfast? <laughs> I said that <laughs> weird. <laughs> breakfast. And Mike went pale saying that he woke up one morning the week before with a burn, but he didn't say anything because it didn't hurt and it went away quickly. But Beth's hurt a lot. And it actually left a scar. What the fuck? N not long after this conversation, Clara woke up at 4 a.m. to Mike calling for her to come downstairs. In his room above his bed, he had shelves and it just had like shit piled on them. 
So there was this tall stack of magazines sitting on top of board games. While he was sleeping, a chess set fell on his chest and he pushed it off. And then a battleship box fell onto him and the magazines did not move. And the, the games fuck? were beneath them. That's weird. Yeah. And he he's one of the people in the house who's just very logical. Um, he always has an explanation for everything. He's not going to immediately jump to something being paranormal. Mm -hmm. uh, but he had no explanation for this. It did not make any sense. And he was really shook by it. So the next day, they all agreed to just have a normal day. They were going to try to stay calm and positive <laughs> because they were starting to believe that if they showed that they were scared, then whatever was messing with them would feed on it because mm -hmm. that is a common thing like for any sort of negative entity to feed on your fear. Yeah, they're going to have a nice day of playing a <clears throat> wholesome game of chess and <laughs> battleship and how much they love those games. Well, that night they did not play chess or battleship, but they did hang out in the living room and they ate some snacks and they watched TV. Mm -hmm. And then Mike suddenly pointed at Mary's photo hanging on the wall and there was a letter opener sticking out of it. What the fuck? That's so threatening. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that's how the family felt. They were like, that is like a direct threat against Mary. Yep. And thankfully, Mary wasn't home at this time. She was with her grandparents, I believe. Um, but everyone still, again, felt threatened. They did not like that. Mm -hmm. And so everyone slept in Claire's room. And all night, they heard heavy footsteps walking around the house, pacing back and forth on the ground floor. So fucking freaky. And um, Mike at one point was like, Mom, do you hear that? Yeah. And Clara was like, listen, as long as they don't make the way up the stairs, we're going to have to ignore it. Oh, God. And that's so creepy. Yeah, I don't know if I could. Like, I don't, I would not, I, every ounce of me would be like, do not go downstairs. But I'd be like, it's pacing downstairs. And I cannot confirm it's not going to come up here so like do i just meet it on my own terms or not you just ignore it dyson <laughs> yeah, well, yeah we you and i have different philosophies on this i think <laughs> you don't feed it yeah clara's mother had a cousin who was a priest named father bob oh, sorry father bob I just remembered that Mike has a friend named Bob, and it would be funny if I was just like, Father Bob, you know, the neighbor kid. <laughs> so I just made a joke in my own head and then laughed at it. <laughs> yeah, nice. So the usual for you. Yeah. Okay. Clara's mother had a cousin who was a priest. His name's Father Bob, and he came to the house on July 10th to bless it. And everything was fine. Dear Lord. And the family lived happily ever after. Bless this mess. <laughs> Everything was not fine, and the family did not live happily ever after. Yeah, I was getting that vibe. <clears throat> the footsteps walking around the house that night were constant. Mary would hear knocking in her room while she was trying to sleep. The house was freezing cold, and it was the summer. It's July. The screen door was randomly shredded apart, like something was trying no. to get in or out. Oh. And all night, they'd hear things being dragged around the house. If you keep fucking freaking me out like this i'm gonna start pearl clutching so fucking hard i'm just i am equally like terrified but at the same time like oh hell no the gumption on that fucking shredding your screen door is so fucked i know and you're like 
it's just shredded to pieces. Like, you're like I don't what, know if it was from inside or outside. I'm what scared. the flying fuck are you dealing with? Because this is like whatever it is. It's like you've got a cluster fuck gumbo soup thing of fucking aliens meets Bigfoot meets fucking uh, poltergeist all meshed up into one fucking creepy ass bowl of fucking <laughs> now it's chili it's chili I'm now stuck. it's chili and i don't want it <laughs> i don't it know what's in a gumbo so i bailed on that real fast <laughs> in a gumbo is um rice is uh seafood usually mm. some, why do some i not know about gumbo, gumbo is why do i not know about gumbo you got some gumbo <laughs> okay all right anyway i don't like it <laughs> the way you said that <laughs> Get some gumbo. Okay, so the family appreciated that Father Bob had come over and blessed the house and whatever, but it didn't do shit. So they'd been looking for someone else to help. In mid-July, they met a well-known priest named Father Alphonsus Trebold. We'll that's, that's an upgrade of a priest if I've ever heard one. Yeah, so we'll call him Father Al just because it's easier to say. Yeah. So Father Al taught religion and the paranormal at St. Bonaventure University. Yeah. So he was very um, in, interested in the paranormal and would teach these classes of sort of like bridging that gap of mm -hmm. paranormal and religion because one would say there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, and uh, so at the university that he'd teach these, this course and in his classroom, he'd leave the front row of seats open so that ghosts could attend his lectures. So he's. So he's got a flair for the dramatics, is he's, what you're saying, yeah, too. Yeah, he's very interesting. Yeah, like the ghosts would need to sit on it on his lecture, though, eh? <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Listen, he's important. <laughs> he actually would later become internationally known in his field on consulting cases like this one and the Amityville Horror, for your information. All right, well, excuse me. Obviously, the ghosts are just sitting in the front row going, this guy gets it. This he guy gets it. Gets Father Al came over to Hinsdale House and he listened to everything that the family had to say about the house and the things that were happening to them. And he asked if he could come back at night to see some of the activity for himself. Nothing happened that night, but he did believe them. And he said that they could call him anytime. Mm -hmm. So a few days later, Mary and her friend were swimming in the pond when they saw a woman dancing on the shore. Again, they described her differently but both girls agreed that she was dancing and spinning before just vanishing into thin air. Oh. Another creepy incident happened at the pond shortly after this. A family friend had told Clara that she was swimming in the pond with Laura and told her not to swim out too far. And Laura responded, it's okay. I know I'm going to die young and it doesn't matter because I've seen everything anyway. Yeah, no, that's a no for me. Oh, I don't like it when it puts pawns into the mix, especially if you're like swimming and then you see something because like, okay, it's on the shore and now I don't want to go back to the shore. And then all I would be thinking is, yeah, but like, I also don't know what's beneath me right now. Yeah, I don't like swimming in lakes or ponds. Yes, it's, it's not enjoyable. Not if I can't touch the bottom or see the bottom. Yeah, it's creepy. It's innately creepy. It's all creepy. This whole thing is creepy. Especially Laura, who people were starting to really worry about because, you know, Laura wasn't acting like herself and she's saying creepy things like she knows she's going to die young and her eyes would change to resemble that of cats. And um, um, yeah, cat eyes. 
Mm. So after that pond incident and Laura's weird behavior, they called Father Al. They said, hey, Al, you said I could call you whenever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And we need to, you know, we need you to come here. Come back, please, and visit us again. And he did. He came back on July 29th. And this time he brought another priest with him. And the two men walked around and blessed the home again. Mm-hmm. Father Al continued to visit the house. He would say prayers with the family. He would help chase off locals and randoms who'd shown up to see the creepy house. Because like I said, they were trying to sell it. Um, and the local newspaper ended up running a story about the house and how oh, haunted it was. Fuck. So they, this is just contributing to all of the fuckery of them not being able to sell it, even though they wanted to. Yep. But also they were running into dilemmas because Clara especially wanted to be transparent with people. She would be like, yeah, by the way, this house is kind of haunted. Uh, actually very haunted yeah because she's got morals and she's she had said that she didn't want to just give it to another unsuspecting family like what happened to them mm-hmm. so it was just this it's a fucked up situation you would just feel totally helpless so beth's room was becoming very active one night she saw a woman with long dark hair staring at her through her window Cute. she would become very disoriented she complained of a constant presence in her room. She said someone was always sitting on her bed while she was trying to sleep. And she would hear voices outside of her window, but she couldn't make out what they were saying. She just knew that it was two people having a conversation. Oh, God. And even though Beth's room was very active, Mary's room got to the point where no one would go in there. And she slept with Clara since Phil was never home. Mary's room was the worst in the house. There were constant footsteps, knocking. It was freezing cold. Furniture would move around. The bed would creak. And there was a weird atmosphere that caused this horrible pressure in your head. And your ears would pop. And it was hard to hear what was happening outside of the room if you were in it. That's so fucked up. Mm -hmm. So, like, obviously, like, poltergeist level, like, like, that's the room. That is, like, the source. Yeah, and like it was, it's like a wall. Um, even to this day, people who go and visit the house, so you step inside that room and you've literally like passed through into something. Yeah, the temperature instantly drops, and like you just feel just weird. It's yeah, weird. Like it's just an oppressive feeling constantly. Mm-hmm. I don't like the part where you just can't hear outside the room. Yeah, so like you literally will be in the room. The door can be wide open. It's not a big room. It's a tiny room. It's it's a small upstairs, really. Mm-hmm. It's like you get to the top of the stairs. There's barely a landing. And then it's like bedroom, bedroom, bedroom. Like there's, but you can't hear anything when you're in it. So fucked up. So fuck drop room aside. We got Laura, you know, she's, she's not really doing well. She's telling people she's not going to live. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's going through it. She says she's going to die at a young age. She's got these cat eyes going on. And then come the first week of August, she started um, accusing every man around her of abusing her. Uh Uh-oh. Clara wondered if she was acting out due to frustration with the house and the family and just everything that was going on. Um, But also was concerned that maybe somebody, somebody was assaulting her daughter. Good. At least she. At least she was like, uh, yeah. But I'm also gonna look into this because, mm-hmm. like, fuck. So Clara tells Phil, 
Laura is saying these things. We need to, to talk to her. Mm-hmm. So Phil and Clara sit down with Laura and talk to her about the accusations she's making, see where it's coming from, what happened exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they left the conversation a lot more concerned because in their eyes, they wholeheartedly believed that Laura was not the one answering their questions. Oh, fuck no. So at this time, Laura is 11. Um, and she was acting very like formal and old fashioned. And she had this weird look in her eyes, like she was just amused by the whole thing. Oh, and, and they, she had that person sitting on her bed the whole time, uh, like staring at the window. Was that her too? That was Beth. That was Beth, sorry. But that thing's in the fucking house. Yeah, Beth is the oldest of the daughters and Laura's the youngest of the yeah. daughters. Yeah. And yeah, like it's, you know your kid. Mm-hmm. And this kid is sitting in front of you, but you're like, I don't know who this person is. And yep. is just like, just behaving weird and just thinks the whole thing is a joke, but is answering in ways that's like, the fuck kind of 11 year old talks like this? Starts using old timey words. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Ew, that's so, that's so creepy. Super creepy. Yeah. So uh, the family um, appreciated the help of Father Al, who was- Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say, well, well, the family appreciated the formality of everything. No. <laughs> who was ultimately not their kid. <laughs> they did appreciate that Father Al was helping and he was coming over all the time and blessing the home and praying with them and listening to their concerns. They were just desperate for anything that could help mm-hmm. and for anything that could bring them answers as to what the fuck is going on with their family and with the house. So a psychic named Wally came to check out the house and classic. He experienced car troubles on the drive there and uh, his exhaust system fell out of the car as he turned onto the road leading to Hinsdale house. Oh, shit. That's the worst. <laughs> like not on his way, like turning in, like not getting out now. Yeah. Like he's at the house. His car falls apart. He gets out of it and he looks at the house and he knows that the house is like, I don't want you here. Yeah. So he picked up on the following. He believed the house was haunted by a family, a mother, a father, a son, and a grandmother. And they did not approve of the Dandy family. To this family that was haunting the house, the Dandy family was too big. It was loud. They didn't like it. He also said that the house was affecting Laura negatively and she needed to get out of the house. And he didn't know about Laura's behavior. And the accusations she was making and her creepy cat eyes. and Yeah, it's so fucked up. He didn't know any of that. And he was like, this kid has to get out of this house. There's something wrong with her. Yeah. And Clara listened. And she sent her to live with um, her parents, Laura's grandparents, in Buffalo. And then Mary went with her, too. So that was on August 8th. And they stayed there for 10 days just okay. to get out of the house. Yep. So 10 days they stayed and they came back home to Hinsdale on August 18th. And then Laura immediately told Clara that she was being bothered by her presence. (laughs) Something was touching her in the middle of the night and moving things in her bedroom. Yep. And on Tuesday, August 28th, Laura was sleeping in Clara's room. Around 3 a.m., Laura got up to head downstairs to go to the bathroom because they only have the one bathroom and it's on the main floor. And Clara heard Laura gasp. She looked over and there was an ominous red light coming from downstairs. Clara ran down to see what this ominous red light was. And she saw that all of the burners on the stove were on like red hot. So they were on for a while, lighting up the entire downstairs. 
Oh my god. The next day, Wednesday, August 29th, Father Al told the family that he believed he had taken the spirits with him. I don't know why. I don't know why it was that day that he finally took the spirits with him. And he was like, things should calm down for you now. Okay. They didn't. No. Tons of shit still happened. I saw him front row in my seminar. On top of all of the usual activity, so footsteps, UFOs, things moving, ghostly voices, you name it, many people, even people from the campground in the hills, were seeing the ghostly woman spinning and dancing. And every night, Beth was hearing strange noises coming from the crawl space that kept her up, but she was too scared to open the door and check out what was making these sounds. Same Beth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Feeling that. Clara had friends over for dinner on September 3rd. After eating, they settled into the living room to hang out when they started to hear loud footsteps upstairs in Mary's room. One friend was like, yo, who's being so loud up there? And Clara's like, no one is up there. It's just normal. And another friend went to investigate, threw open the door to Mary's room, and found no one. Just that freezing cold air. Ugh. A few days later... Phil had the urge to head toward the tree line of the property, almost like something was beckoning him over there. Oh, no. Clara had a bad feeling about it, so she followed him just for company, telling him that he shouldn't worry about it because it was getting dark. They circled the pond, walking through the typical cold spots. They didn't see anything, and they headed back to the house. As they walked toward it, Clara looked up at the house and saw a figure in Beth's bedroom window. Uh it was a young woman with strawberry blonde hair. Clara knew it wasn't any of her daughters or their friends, so she was trying to point the woman out to Phil when Beth and her boyfriend, Jeff, ran out of the house saying that they'd been sitting on the front porch when a white figure rushed past them. So there was a lot of activity activity happening at once, and Phil didn't trust it. He thought that someone was fucking with them so that they could trespass on the property, like by distracting you at the tree line so you go outside, mm -hmm. and then the white figure maybe was somebody trying to get into the house. Oh, it's it must be wreaking havoc on their mind because they're also thinking, as all of this is happening, that it's a publicized mm -hmm. location now, and people are coming in to investigate or fuck around and play pranks exactly yep. and that was phil's main logic he he really wasn't into the sort of paranormal stuff plus he wasn't there as much as the rest of the family mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the family were really witnessing most of it so beth's boyfriend pulled his motorcycle up and turned the headlight on so that they could scan the property because it was dark now mm -hmm. and as they're looking around they heard a scream from behind the house and it was Mary who'd been standing outside with Beth when she saw a woman looking at her through her bedroom window, which was on the second floor. Beth said when Mary screamed, she looked up at the window and just saw the curtain dropping. Everyone ran into the house to look for this woman that was inside, but they saw that the house was in a completely different state than they left it in. All of the lights upstairs were turned on and the door to the root cellar in the bathroom was wide open which was always latched and bolted. Yeah, that's not good. It's out. 
From inside, Beth and Jeff saw a man standing on the front lawn at the corner of the house, so Phil ran out there, only to hear someone scream that there was something in the backyard. And anytime Clara looked out the windows of the house, she could see things passing by and moving about the property. Then Beth screams because she saw a woman with strawberry blonde hair sitting on her bed. And this is the same girl that Clara saw, but she never had a chance to mention it because there was just pandemonium happening. Mm -hmm. So she's like, holy shit, I saw her too. And then Phil comes running downstairs saying that all of the lights upstairs were now turned off. And so there's just this chaos of activity. You're running after one thing only to have something else happening over here. And then someone is screaming over there that you have to see what's happening over here. And it's just, like you said, wreaking havoc on everyone's mind. Yeah. They're like, what the fuck is real and what isn't? It sounds like the, like, you know, like in the movies when, like, the poltergeist starts off slow and it builds. And then there's that, like, climax where it's like... You know what? Everything in the house, everywhere yes. is just ex- like just. It's a supernatural disarray. explosion. Yeah. Like now the root cellar is open. Okay, this this is the creepiest part. Okay, to me, I I hate this part. I'm legitimately like not <clears throat> ready. <laughs> so they'd searched most of the house, and all that was left was that crawl space that no one liked to go in. Uh-huh. So Phil opens the door, and the neat recently mortared chimney had been taken apart brick by brick. And the bricks were neatly stacked against the opposite wall. What the fuck? And when Beth saw this, she started crying. She was mortified because for days she had been kept up all night hearing something moving around in there and been too scared to open it. Now she knows what she heard was real and something was dismantling the chimney. Oh my fucking God. Mm Mm-hmm. I have full goosebumps. I'm all upset. Over my like I'm body. actually uncomfortable. <laughs> That's so fucked. Clara, she called Father Al, who got in his car and he immediately headed over. And when he got there, the family was huddled together in the living room. They were pale, shivering. They were refusing to look out the windows because anytime they did, they would just see things moving around. Mm-hmm. So he asked them to tell him everything. And as he was talking to Clara in the living room, Phil went out into the yard to scan the property again, still thinking it's someone fucking with us. Yeah. Phil called Father Al and Clara outside. And when they got there, Phil was using the flashlight to point out a young girl walking near the pond in a sheer nightgown that was swaying and changing from white to purple. Oh, that's so weird. Everyone was exhausted, but no one felt safe enough to go to sleep in the house. So Father Al and Phil agreed to stay up all night and watch the house so that the rest of the family could at least get some rest. Probably didn't sleep, but at least they could lay their head down. I don't think I could. <sighs> I would be up too. I'd be like, you know what? Like that's sm- the better. Chain smoking cigarettes and chugging coffee. Yeah. The night watch continued on a regular basis after this for a little while. Mike's friends came to patrol the grounds in case there were tres- there were people trespassing to fuck with the family. Mm-hmm. And during their night watches, they never saw real live people, but they always heard strange sounds and saw weird things. One night, they saw a figure in a small boat drifting on the pond, but as they approached and tried to focus on it with their flashlights, all of the flashlights died. Oh my god. Beth's room continued having paranormal activity. There was this constant smell of this strange perfume that no one in the house wore and the smell of cigar smoke, which is really creepy to think about because she was hearing like two voices. 
So it's like, was it yeah. these two people and that's like their smell? Yeah. Um, on September 8th, she turned the lights off and got... Okay, sorry. This part is really creepy to me too. <laughs> on September 8th, she turned the lights off and got into bed and then she heard the drawer of her dresser open. She looked over and she saw her mother standing with her back to her, looking in the drawer at her diary. Beth asked her mom, like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And Clara said, are you sure it was June 29th? And Beth assumed she was talking about a fire that had taken place nearby. And she remembered it was when the fire happened because it was also the day that the activity in the house had, like, fucking leveled up. Mm -hmm. Beth answered, that's what my diary says. And silently, Clara put down the diary and left the room without a word. The next morning, Beth thought about this and was like, wait a minute. That was really weird. First, my mom doesn't have a long nightgown like that. She's never worn anything like that in her life. And how could she read my diary in the dark? And remember, she never actually saw her mom's face. Her back oh, was to her. Oh, my God. And then that's when she realized that it wasn't her mother at all. Yeah, of course not. Oh, my God. On September 13th, Beth and Clara were headed into town to do some shopping when the car filled with that strange perfume smell. Um, and it was so strong that they had to open the windows to try and air the car out because they're just like suffocating from this smell. And it was like a light and floral smell, but it was just so much of it that it was overpowering. And when Clara smelt it, the word verbena, I don't know if it's a verbena or verbena, but mm. it kept popping into her head. Um, so she looked it up and learned that it was popularly used in perfumes in the 1850s to 70s. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> On September 19th, Father Al brought a new psychic, a man named Alex, um, over to the Hinsdale house. Alex and Father Al walked around the house and then they met with the family so Alex could tell them his impressions of the house. Alex said that a mass murder happened. And he told the family that he'd seen several spirits and five of them had died violently. One man was stabbed, one woman was hanged, one woman was drowned, one man was beaten to death, and a woman with strawberry blonde hair had been beaten and tortured to death. Oh no. Alex said that this happened a hundred years ago, so nineteen or sorry, eighteen seventies. Mm -hmm. Smell of that perfume. Yep. Could belong to the strawberry blonde woman who's always in Beth's room. Yep. Alex told the family that before these people could be buried, they had been kept in the crawl space. And when Alex had opened up the door to the crawl space, he had a vision of these bodies piled up and stacked like firewood. Oh, my God. He said there was one more spirit that wasn't connected to the mass murder. It was an old woman who was about 90 and had died recently. Clara later learned that one of the previous homeowners had died in the house shortly before the Dandy family moved in. Oh, good. Alex also believed there were graves nearby that had been disturbed. Now, that is incredibly possible that there was graves disturbed because after moving in, the family did renovations and there was the pond in the backyard that was new, which means that tons of digging had happened. Mm -hmm. And she remembered those early days when the dogs were bringing home large bones and wondered if they could have been human. Yeah. And at the time... She had no idea, and she just threw them away. <laughs> I think that's her biggest fault yeah. so far in the story. There's also the fact that a lot of the spirits in the activity is happening near the pond, mm -hmm. 
where potentially graves were disturbed. Yeah. Since Alex, the psychic, had been at the house, things actually seemed to calm down for a bit. And he had the f- he had given the family some homework. He said that you got to do some research on this house to see if there's any burial sites in the area. Mike and his friends were tasked with physically going out and looking for grave sites. And one night, it was October 1st, and Mike came home late and he was really worked up. He told Clara that he and his friends had walked down a nearby road called Burton Road, and they saw this light in the trees. And every time they got close, it would go out. And as they walked, they passed through cold spots and heard weird sounds in the woods and up in the hills. And when they started to feel like something was following them, they left and went home. But Mike was so worked up because he felt like that thing had followed him home, like he brought it into the house. And he was afraid to go back downstairs to his room. And as he was telling Clara this, they heard the back door to the house open and slam shut. No, fuck that. (laughs) No, just no, just no. It's the rule is it's not supposed to make like you run home. You're safe because you're out of the woods. But like this thing doesn't fucking care now. No, it doesn't. It's just like, cool. Thanks. You fucked up my burial site. I'm coming home with you. Mm -hmm. We're one now. Yeah. So even though Mike was creeped out by his experience, he and his friends wanted to know where Burton Road led, and they wanted to know if there was grave sites there. It was October 16th when they gained the courage to go back, but as they were walking, one of the friends went into a trance. They tried going back a few more times, but something weird would happen each time. The third time, a friend collapsed. The fourth time, only two went, and this time they went in a car because they're like, it's safer, right? But as they were driving, they saw a headless man in the middle of the road, and they had to swerve to avoid him. Well, that was nice of them. On October 21st, a state trooper showed up at the Dandy's house and told Clara that Mike had been in a car accident and was unconscious at the Olean Hospital. Olean is like the closest city. Hinsdale is just a small town. Mm-hmm. Mike had to undergo emergency surgery to remove his spleen because of internal bleeding. And before he went unconscious at the scene, Mike kept asking if they saved the guy that was with him, but a passenger was never accounted for. Oh, my God. On October 23rd, two days later, Phil was um, deciding to sleep in the living room just in case the phone rang and the hospital called with an update on Mike. So he was in that state when you're like nearly asleep, but you're still sort of aware. And then that's when he saw five men come out of the closet door. And this door used to be a second door to the front porch. Phil said that they were dressed like Puritans. Um, oh my God. So, oh, so like the like top pil- hat, like the pilgrims. Black- yep. And uh, heard one of them say, Should we wait or take him now? Then, after a moment, they turned around and left out the closet door. And Phil was terrified. He's like laying there, he's sweating because he's never had such a vivid paranormal experience in the house. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he was like rarely there. It was the rest of the family that would experience actual paranormal stuff. Yeah. So Phil felt that they were talking about Mike, who was in the hospital in bad shape, potentially fighting for his life. Um, so the next morning, Phil and Clara went to see Mike and thankfully he was okay. Mm-hmm. But his roommate in the hospital, who had also been in a bad car accident, died. Oh, weird. Yeah. And Mike had to stay in the hospital for a few weeks to recuperate. 
Now, Beth had recently broken up with Jeff, but he was still really close to the family. So on November 24th, he came to show the family his new car. Mm -hmm. And after he left that night, he got into a car accident in the exact same spot Mike had. And he was hospitalized and it took him years to physically recover. Oh, fuck. The voices outside of Beth's bedroom were getting a lot louder and she was hearing them more often. And now it was distinctly a man and a woman talking. As they talked, Beth could hear someone banging on the oil tank outside of the house. And it was so loud that Clara could hear it from upstairs. And the scariest part was that the man and the woman started saying Beth's name. Oh, shit. No, that's so fucked. Like they were talking about her specifically now. And this lines up with Beth getting what seems like possessed. Oh, God. So on December 8th, Mike's friends were spending the night and they were like sleeping on cots and in sleeping bags and hanging out in the living room. When Beth came into the room, she stepped over the guys that were on the floor. She sat on the couch and then it appeared like she was playing with something like an invisible ball or something like that. And she said, it's all mine. Mama gave it to me. It's all mine. And Mike and his friends assumed she was sleepwalking, even though it was really fucking creepy and they'd never seen her sleepwalk before. Mm -hmm. And then she gets up and she goes into the bathroom and she's like kneading invisible dough over the bathtub. And remember, the bathroom used to be a pantry. And then Beth tried leaving the house. But the boy stopped her. They brought her over into the living room and they sat her on the cot that one of the boys was sleeping on. Mm -hmm. And Beth only weighed 110 pounds. But when she sat down, both ends of the cot like bent and it just collapsed underneath her. What the fuck? And the creepiest part is that Beth had brown eyes and this whole time her eyes were bright blue. Ew. Mm -hmm. I I hate this because it. When you were saying like, yeah, like they, they started like speaking her name. I was like, that's so odd because like most of these stories like ghosts are usually like in their own kind of like time loop. Like they're almost like they may be aware of you, but really they don't like break that threshold. Yeah. And like, no, they're co- they're cognitive of what they're doing mm-hmm. and they're taking you in. Yeah. And you're going yeah. into a room that is a bathroom, but years and years ago when there was like outhouses yeah the bathroom was a pantry and apparently where she was kneading mm-hmm. it used to be like a counter mm-hmm. it's yeah. so creepy shortly after this incident clara received a call from the school that beth had tried to jump out the window of the bathroom and later was trying to strangle herself in class all right five days later clara beth and beth's new boyfriend tim were sitting in the living room Clara looked over and saw Beth's eyes changed to blue and she was staring at Tim with this creepy smile on her face. Her lips were in a straight line and slightly tilted up at the corners. And she was just staring at Tim with blue eyes now. Oh, that's so fucked up. Over the next few days, Beth continued to act like this. Um, One night when the kids had friends over for a New Year's Eve party... Beth pulled a muscle in her back, so Clara gave her a muscle relaxer, and Beth began acting really hyper, which, if you were going to be affected by a muscle relaxer, you wouldn't be hyper. Yeah, you'd be quite the opposite. Yes. 
She was loud, talkative. She was totally out of character. She couldn't sit still. She told the kids that she'd taken 10 muscle relaxers, just a random lie, like that wasn't even true. And everyone was just disturbed by her behavior. So they thought like maybe this muscle relaxer fucked with her. Like we need to take her to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong with her. Yeah, I can tell you what's wrong right now. So Clara, Phil, and Tim put Beth in the car to take her to the hospital. And on the drive, she was spastic, like she couldn't control her body. And as Phil carried her into the emergency room, Beth went limp. So then Phil nearly fell over. And then Tim had to come and help. But when he touched Beth, she went stiff. So up until she was in the exam room, she would alternate between these two states of like going really limp and then going very stiff. Mm -hmm. And she was in finally into the exam room and she would act like she was completely out of it but then she would be very aware and when she was really aware she was hyper and speaking a totally different language and the doctor was like terrified of what he was seeing Mm -hmm. so he pumped her stomach because she was telling everybody that she took 10 of these pills but her stomach was empty and all the while beth's eyes would change from brown to blue And Beth stayed the night in the hospital and Clara talked to the doctor and he mentioned, like, your daughter's eyes were changing from brown to blue. Uh, What the fuck? Yeah. And Clara told him the family had noticed that that was happening as well. And she kind of elaborated a bit more on what was happening with Beth and the house. And the doctor was like, yo, get her out of that house. Yeah. It's like, thank you. That's easy enough to say. Yeah. Uh, But they couldn't just leave. All the money was in this house. And by this point, every local knew about the house and how it was haunted. So no local wanted to buy it. And even if someone came from out of town, it really didn't take long before the locals told them why it wasn't selling and Mm -hmm. why the dandies were so eager to sell it. So they couldn't just leave. Um, So back to Beth. One night, another night. She's in her room. She's listening to music. And those voices outside of her window started up and she went into the trance like that she had been going into and her eyes turned blue and stuff. And Claire came in to check on her, which good for Clara. She's like, obviously, Beth's been really weird lately. So she was like regularly checking on her. Mm-hmm. And then Clara heard the man and the woman talking. And the man said, what do we do now? She's taking her to the doctor. And the woman was like, I don't know, but it's better when she's sick. Ew. And on top of everything Beth was experiencing, she had been having these terrible stomach pains for a month now, and Beth and Clara had been taking her to the doctor. Mm -hmm. So it's just, at this point, so targeted from at least those spirits. Yeah, those two in particular just being assholes. Mm -hmm. So there was more car accidents. Phil was driving a car that he bought for Mike. But it would be the first car that Mike would be driving since his really bad accident. So Phil wanted to test drive it first. So he borrowed it to go to work, uh, which is in Buffalo. So it was at least a decent drive. So it would give him a good feel for the car. And on his way home, he had to swerve out of the way of a tractor trailer. And he went off the road. The car rolled three times, finally stopped in a field upside down. And he was trapped inside the car. Man, no one's catching a fucking break. Nope. Later, Phil loaned his car to one of Mike's friends so that he could go to a school dance. And when he was driving over a bridge, he was hit by a car with its headlights off. The 
car was repaired and a few days later Mike borrowed it. And he was driving down a hill when he said the steering wheel seized, he could not control the car at all and he drove head on into a tree. And the car was totaled so they had to buy a new one. So Mike and his friends borrowed this new car to go into town when a car ran a red light and T-boned Mike and his friend. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. They're cursed. Yes. Yeah. And here is where we will get into the beginning of the end. Okay. On April 14th, 1974, Father Al, the psychic Alex, and students from the St. Bonaventure University showed up to the Hinsdale House. They were making a film about the haunting and wanted to do an exorcism on the house. In the evening, the family, Father Al and Alex, kneeled in the living room and held hands. Alex drew all of the negative energy into him and dispelled it. And Father Al read the church's exorcism right. I'm sorry. Did fucking Alex? Alex was the one that sucked all that energy. Did you fucking rupture? <laughs> because everything is fucking not good right now. It's terrifying. Yeah, you got a, like a nuclear bomb equivalent of just paranormal activity going mm-hmm. on. He's like, let me just suck that in like a sponge. Hold on. He's using his gift for good. Yeah. Like, I have a duty as a psychic. Yeah. Well, yeah, Father Al read the church's exorcism right. When the rite was done, everyone felt physically stuck in place. They were shaky and wobbly, but they couldn't get up. And while they were stuck, they could hear moans and cries uh, that sounded at first like they were coming from outside. But the more it continued, the more everyone realized it was the house that was crying and screaming. Oh, fuck that. After the exorcism, the house was quiet and things finally seemed hopeful for the family. Mike left to join the Navy. Laura moved into his room because it was bigger than her room upstairs. And Beth got engaged to Tim and they were going to get married in that summer, which is the summer of 74. Mm. On Sunday, July 7th, the entire family was at Beth's wedding shower and Phil left the shower early to go home and change for his second job. And he ran upstairs to the bedroom to get his clothes. And he stopped dead in his tracks because there was a book floating in midair. That would stop me pretty fucking quick. And after it's been quiet since April. Oh, God. God damn. Like, so much of them must have just been like, fuck off. God damn it. No. Yeah. Like, we thought it was done. And then a few days later, Laura was harassed by a black ball of fur with pointed teeth and was forced to move back upstairs to her old bedroom. Poor fuckers. I know. It's horrible. I just want to hug all of them. Yeah. Beth got married and moved out in August. So the wedding was over now. And Phil and Clara had to like snap back to reality and assess their finances because they had spent a lot of money on the wedding. Mm-hmm. And no one was buying their house. It was infamous now as a haunted house, plus the dandies were all very honest about what was happening, like I said. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to sell it to another poor family that had no idea what they were in for. By September 29th, they were bankrupt. Their house was unbearable. They were sick of the torture. 
and Clara and Phil sent Mary, Laura, and the rest of um, the pets, all of the pets, to go with Clara's parents in Buffalo. Okay. So it was just Clara and Phil in the house. On Sunday, October 13th, they were alone, and Clara wrote this in her journal. Quote, Today we went to bed early. We had just settled down when a car drove into the yard. Phil jumped up and ran to the back door. There was no car, yet we had seen the lights and heard the motor. There had even been the sound of a door slamming. He no sooner got into bed when it happened again. This happened six more times before I could get him to ignore the lights and sounds. Then, just as we started to relax, a gong started in the cellar. A real Chinese gong. And it was loud. Again, Phil raced downstairs. Again, there was nothing. In rapid succession, we were subjected to the sounds of a baby crying, sirens, a whistle, bells, and a repeat of the gong. Each time, Phil insisted on investigating. Finally, whether because of my persuasive powers or more likely out of sheer exhaustion, he ignored the noises. Thereafter, all we heard were the familiar footsteps. That's so fucking not okay and it's all of like the most jarring sounds yeah a baby crying sirens a whistle like that's all stuff that like would jolt you and like yep. you would react to mm -hmm. and then you're like oh thank god it's over and you find comfort in the fact that it's just the normal footsteps yeah like no it shouldn't be anything just, oh good they're just walking around again mm-hmm by Thursday, October 17th, 1974, Phil and Clara left the house for the last time. Phil, Clara, Laura, and Mary moved to San Jose, California, where Phil got a new job. And finally, free of Hinsdale, Clara thoroughly researched the home. She learned that a family lived in the house 23, 23 years before her family had, mm -hmm. and they had also had a priest come to the house to help them. It obviously, it didn't work. Yeah, no kidding. After the dandies moved out, several other families tried living there, and they couldn't do it. Throughout the rest of the 70s and the 80s, no one lasted more than a few months in that house. And in total, the dandies were there for more than four years. Man, just demolish that home. Still standing today? We could go to it. It's only like three hours away. Yeah, we could go there briefly. <laughs> <laughs> I would go there briefly, but if someone was like, you want to stay the night? I'd be like, in what room? Like, I'm sorry, is there one where, like, no one felt, like, threatened for their lives? No. Yeah, no, everyone did. Every inch of that house was scary. Yeah. So I think the only, maybe there wasn't as much going on in the kitchen, but. Yeah, but that wasn't even, like, originally the kitchen. That's true. So the pantry was the kitchen, and a lot of shit was going <laughs> down there. <laughs> so within five years of leaving Hinsdale, Claire and Phil divorced, and... It's really not surprising. Their relationship had been strained for years. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it was even before they moved into the Hinsdale house because moving out there was sort of a way to try and get the family back together. Yeah. So in 1990, Clara moved to Eugene, Oregon. And I believe she's still alive and living there today. Oh, good for her. Um, Beth and Tim, they got married, like I had mentioned, and they had a good life together. They, got, they had two kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Mary got married in 1989. Sadly, Mike died. I believe it was four years ago. And he died in a car accident. And they believe that it was a blood clot from one of his previous accidents. 
that oh. killed him while he was driving. Oh, okay. Yeah. Laura struggled with her mental and physical health her whole life after leaving Hinsdale. Mm-hmm. Uh, she frequently told people that she wanted to return to Hinsdale, that it was calling no. to her. Oh, no. At the age of 31 in 1991, she overdosed on prescription medicine and she died. That's and so she's fucked. the one that was swimming in the pond and said, it's okay. I know I'm going to die young. That's so fucked up. And it seems that she got her wish and she got to go back to Hinsdale House because her ghost is seen there on the grounds and inside the house. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm going to shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the saddest note to end it on, but. That's really the Pinsdale House. Um, in 1999, Clara wrote that book, Echoes of a Haunting. And she says that she isn't making up anything. Everything that's written in that book truly happened to the family. Mm-hmm. And there is police and medical records that corroborate everything that has to do with car accidents and hospital stays. The Dandy family, including grandparents, uh, sister-in-laws, cousins, they all witnessed stuff that happened. All of the kids' friends, neighbors, locals, people staying at the campgrounds, they all saw stuff. And Everyone's corroborating. They're all those. backing up the claims that the Dandy family has made. And Father Al extensively talked about the hauntings in his lectures and his teachings. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, ultimately, it's up to everyone listening what they think. But that's the story of Hinsdale House. Well, that was absolutely fucking terrifying, Brianna. That's probably the scariest story I've ever heard in my life. Thanks to Hinsdale House, I just recounted what I researched. Yeah, thank you, Hinsdale House. It's a lot. I can tell you look like you're going to shit yourself. The whole time I was like, this is like, this is the the nightmare. This is it. This is exactly what everyone feared to happen. (laughs) Like. I know. And uh, everything. UFOs, creepy sounds, noises, ghosts, weird lights, poltergeist activity, creepy cellars, creepy crawl spaces. You are getting physically injured. You're getting possessed. You all all in the middle of buttfuck nowhere near these like creepy ass woods that are the hills. Yeah, the hills. The hills with ch- Gregorian chant. Gregorian. Gregorian chant. Chanting. Well, that's what Clara said. It sounded like and, and then screams and like floating orbs and no did well women flo- dan- floating orbs slash lights okay well there was probably orbs yeah women dancing near the pond someone floating on the pond dogs bringing back bones weird eyes near the crab apple tree the a black actually ball i think the fern. eyes are one of my least favorite details like that is the scariest that freaks me the fuck out mm-hmm. yeah I'm sorry if you can't sleep tonight, everyone, including Dyson. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, everyone. It's spooky season. When there was those creepy fucking eyes in the forest, there was also one of the girls in the house whose eyes would turn into cat eyes. Laura. Yeah. So. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. That part made me cry when I heard, like, Laura would tell people up until her death that she wanted to go back to Hinsdale House and it was like calling to her. Yeah. And now her ghost is seen there and she died young and she told the friend that she was going to die young when she was like 10. Yeah. And it just reminds me of Eleanor in The Haunting of Hill House yeah. and 
it's just like a Shirley Jackson novel up in here, and <laughs> it's very frightening. It was very Shirley Jackson. Like honestly, she could have written that. That was that fucking intense. Very scary. So yeah. I mean, it is spooky season. I I wish I could just transport myself to this house and just hug everyone and be like you can live in my apartment it's okay no they can't no hey that's the house that's haunted it's okay not, it's not the family well, whoever's in the house right now um you know i hope you find a better place but <laughs> the house uh, you're right also now, a ghoul and uh the house right now is like it's sort of a museum type of thing mm -hmm. um it is like someone does own it and they they upkeep it and they let people come in and visit mm -hmm. to check it out like paranormal investigators or just curious Zach people Baggins? i don't know has the z-bag been in there probably <laughs> that's a good that's a good question i'll have to talk to the z-bag <laughs> um so yeah people do spend the night if it's part of their like paranormal investigation and the people who own the property are trying to sort of restore it to what it would have been and they, from what I've seen, are very, um, like, sensitive to the property. They understand that it would have had a lot of Native American background and history mm -hmm. when they're doing their digs and for construction and stuff. They are mindful of that and keep anything they find and are treat it with respect. Yep. And research the land. They're always doing research on the property. And that's how we know that the history goes back to 1701. So, I mean, I would love to go there. It'd be so scary. I 100% want to go there. It's only like three I hours just, away. I just don't want to sleep there. You don't have to sleep there, but you have to get a passport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of Spooky Season. <laughs> Dice is holding his chest. And like... I'm fine. <laughs> I hope I didn't scare everyone else that much, but I hope you did. Um, I kind of do too, actually, because it was very scary. I mean, I gave myself chills telling the story, and mm. I'm the one that researched this, and I've been up to my eyeballs in it for days. It's true. So, yeah, I mean, you can come back next week. It won't be haunted, but it'll be a true crime case. It'll be episode 39, and we'll be talking about. Uh, the Lisk family massacre. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not haunted, but just as dark. And in the meantime, you know, you can follow us on Instagram. I really want people to send us case suggestions. That's what I want. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because I want to know what you guys want to hear. Or you can just tell me, hey, we're not giving you case suggestions because y'all already are picking the best cases. Mm. You can also tell me that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Also, lovely listeners, if you haven't already, could you just uh, go on up into the, your listening app there and give us five stars? If you think we deserve it, of course, but I mean, we're still lot. here. Yeah. Make sure you're subscribed. Um, thank you. I, again, apologize if you're gripping your chest and sweating like Dyson, but it's spooky season, okay? We'll have the last episode of spooky season next week. So until then. We'll catch you on the dark side. Bye.